the fact that I was in graduate school and doing research while I was working with clients, I just, that was so invaluable to me because it's always, I'm always relating it back to what's the practical application of this? Because you also have scientists who get so into the weeds that they can't even give you practical breakdowns. In fact, one of the things I would always do with my academic seminars was I would actually have practical recommendations at the end, which most people did not do. Hey friends, I have had an idea for many, many years. I've got a white project board over here that I have all the things that I want to accomplish in the next several months or years. And I mean, probably for over a decade, the birth of an industry has been on the center of that board because I wanted to write a series of articles talking about and chronicling the things that the personal nutrition industry, coaching industry has done or gone through the different phases uh, because I, I feel like it's kind of important having been there from the beginning and not that we, we need a, a detailed biography of every single person. I'm, I'm obviously constrained by my part of this. And I want to explain that just a little bit in that prior to me coming along before social media and, and creating what you see today as a literal occupation that people can go into. You can now use different degrees, exercise science, nutrition, biochemistry, tailor that in, much like personal training. That's really what it was modeled for uh, back in the day after I had left physical therapy and, and, and opened a fitness facility, writing for different magazines, um, launching into my own pro bodybuilding career. I think most of us who were involved in the industry did some personal training, and even that industry was in its infancy. But then as I started helping friends get ready for contests, and I started picking apart things that were just wrong and, and obvious to me just through biochemistry and physiology, that became fodder for my articles I was writing uh, on every single month and different platforms. And so it, it became a little bit of a beachhead that I, I don't think a lot of people are aware of. And, and I think it's going to create some interest that, that may help enrich our industry. And that's really what I want. My goal now with this phase of my career is to make sure we're creating standards of practice and best practices that can legitimize this moving forward. And the very first person that I think you will know that came from that era was Lane Norton. I think it's incredibly appropriate that you'll see uh, he and I have known each other for more than 20 years. He loves to tell the story of when he walked into my office at 19 years old and, and asked for my services. And, and I have to say that even at that point, it wasn't a full-time focus. I was writing about it. I was doing it, but it was around... Uh, the end of 2001, even though I had been doing it since about 1998, where uh, it, it really took a big turn. And, and, and we'll go through some of that in these next series of interviews. But, but Lane came to me that day. And when he said, you know, I want to do what you do, like he was already set to go to school and become a, a marine biologist. And he just thought it was amazing that you could help people it, it, in his world at that point, it meant bodybuilders. And, you know, that, that phrase, I think, really sums up where we've come from. I want to do what you do. And now how many tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people around the world are personal nutrition coaches 
simply because of that time a little bit more than 20 years ago. Now, another reason why I think it's important that uh, I include Lane at the very beginning of this era is though through my writing and me perhaps being the first person to do this full-time, to just full-time online nutrition coaching as a business model, Lane was certainly the biggest and he was the second. Uh, as a client of mine, I helped him win a, a pro card or two. Uh, he, he didn't even start coaching right away, as you'll learn in the interview. Um, you know, he was still in school doing his thing, but once he decided this was exactly what he wanted, he, he sunk his teeth in. And I, I'm not shy about ribbing Lane for this, but obviously social tact is not his thing. Uh, he, he, he loves to consider himself the guardian of truth. I'm going to expose people and methodologies and concept, concepts that are wrong, and I'm going to love doing it. I'm, I'm going to destroy those people if necessary. And me being a little bit more introverted, a little bit more academic minded in terms of what I was doing with my career, I was never going to be that guy. So he was truly the voice that you heard uh, in the initial first steps of personal nutrition coaching. And to this day, you know, that's what he considers his role. He certainly has his business aligned in a direction that he wants it to go. And in my opinion, different personalities, you, you guys may know some of my uh, academic forays into social science and social psychology. I'm all for different personality types. And I know a lot of that is genetic. A lot of that's environmental and in our childhood wiring. Um, so A, we all have to, you know, learn to deal with different types of personalities. And, and I hope you see Lane, love him or hate him as somebody who's willing to step out and take those arrows for our industry, try to legitimize with science the fact that there is a need for people who do this extremely well. And as we go through this entire series of interviews, and I don't know how long it will go, uh, as I said, I'm looking for help outside to chronicle some of these origin stories. I'm limited to the people that I know and the people I interacted with starting in the late 90s. But I hope you enjoy. Here's my conversation with Lane Norton. Lane Norton. I appreciate you doing this, my friend. We have known each other. By the way, happy birthday. I, I heard you had a big one here recently. Yeah, I turned, uh, well, this will probably make you feel really old, but I turned uh, 40 on uh, in December. So yes. yeah, getting, getting up there. That was, it was interesting to see. I'm like, I think I met Lane when he was 19, maybe even 18. Like we we've known each other probably longer than any other two people in this particular industry. I would say that's probably accurate. Yeah. I it was 19 and I was getting ready for my first bodybuilding show. And uh, just so happened that, you know, somebody recommended that you were a coach in the area. And I'd actually started reading your articles in uh, natural bodybuilding and fitness I think I emailed you a blitzkrieg of about 80 questions before you finally said, Hey, we should book a consult. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I was thinking about that because in just thinking about doing this interview, um, you know, we've got a lot of history. We've known each other that long. And I, and I put myself in your position because I have been there and I thought, you know, what, what truly motivates somebody to get to this point? Because you and I started from square one, just with an idea. Like, I think this looks kind of cool. This may be fun to do for a career. And now we've both carved out some pretty big paths. So I, I want to take you all the way back to maybe, 
you know, the very first time as a kid somewhere you decided I wanted to have a physical life. You know, you, you got into a gym somewhere, you, you, you hit that very first workout. And do you remember what that felt like, that, that switch in your, in your mind? So I think this is two parts for me. And the first one is I really got into weight training, not because I had a passion for physical fitness or anything like that, because I very just plainly didn't want to get picked on anymore and uh, wanted to get some attention from girls. Now, it turns out lifting weights didn't accomplish either of those two things. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, so I, I started, I picked it up from like, I think I started the summer after my freshman year of high school and my dad just had some old sand weights in the basement. So, you know, I didn't have any money. So I just walked down to the public library on, uh, I think it's sixth street in Evansville. Since you're from Evansville, you'll mm -hmm. know where that is. Mm -hmm. Got a couple books on training and just followed the programs that were in that. And so all I had was a barbell and some dumbbells and one of the, the barbells still remember the, the sand weights, were leaking. So they had duct tape around the, you know, around the sand weights. So about as humble of a beginnings for resistance training as you can get. And, um, did that saw some improvements. Then I, um, right. Or rights, FJ rights, where I went to high school offered, um, weightlifting as a class. And so I took that for, for, you know, gym class or physical education and, um, you know, made some, pretty decent progress. And then I got my first girlfriend stopped lifting because, Hey, why am I doing this anymore? Mission right? accomplished. Yeah, exactly. You know, we're, this is the end goal. Um, and then she broke up with me and then I picked it back up and I actually, you know, interestingly, when I picked it back up was I was 17 and I went to a seminar that they had for bigger, faster, stronger, which was a very popular kind of high school and college lifting program at the time. And I mean, to be honest, not a terrible program, um, you know, had some elements of periodization to it. And I just picked that up and started doing that. I started getting stronger. And I think, you know, it wasn't like I had that, it wasn't like I had that first workout. It was like, oh man, this is the thing I want to do. But it was like, you start hitting check marks, right? You get that 135 pound bench. And cause you know, I didn't really squat because you know, squats were hard. Um, but, you know, and then I got like a 200 pound bench. And then by the time I was senior, I hit a 300 pound bench. You probably remember me wearing my 300 pound bench shirt. Everywhere in I my went, office, you know? in my office, man. First, first yeah, impression. Yeah. So I played baseball through high school um, and really like I liked the competitive aspect of things. Interestingly, I would not define myself as like a fierce competitor. You know, I was more worried about not striking out when I got up to bat than I was, you know, doing something awesome. Um, and weightlifting is one of the things that really changed that mentality over time. But um, I think somewhere just along that process of, you know, setting a goal, hitting that goal, setting another goal, hitting another goal, having some really small setbacks to work through. I think that is what built my love for it. And honestly, I put up a, a story on Instagram the other day. I said, you know, weight training just taught me so much about life. Um, and I said, if the only, if you don't like take any other lessons out of resistance training, you really have missed, you know, because it, it, there's so many things that are euphemism for life because I mean, you're going to have setbacks. I have people ask me all the time, how do I not get injured? I'm like, stay in bed. 
That's, that's pretty much how you can avoid, you know, pain, getting injured. And then even when you're older, guess what happens if you're sedentary? You're going to have pain. So yes. I always tell people you're better off being strong and having pain than being weak and having pain. Um, I, I literally so, thought yeah. of that question as, as, as I was preparing for this because the same thing happens. I mean, I, I'm back to kind of growing a physical presence here in our community. And, and I love the fact that people are coming in looking for holistic change, nutrition, physical fitness, everything. And now it's different because I have not worked personally with somebody at that level for about 20 years. And it's almost like completing that circuit where I'm seeing people just, just feel alive with that change. And as you're describing it, it's, it's that process. And then it becomes a habit. Um, one of the things I'm, I'm really interested in hearing from you is because that, that, that parallels my life. I mean, it's like, we've lived the same life, same thing. Started lifting 11, 12 years old, dad's cement weights in the basement, the exact same thing. I played baseball in high school. I also am incredibly non-competitive, non-confrontational, but at the same time, that inner fire, it was like, this is change. This is, this is something I can do for myself and, and do something that, that nobody you know else is really doing. But when you decided, so, so we also were pretty much inspired by bodybuilding. You, you walked into my office as you and I have both told the story and I'm, I'm helping you get ready for that first contest. And you just thought, what the heck, this guy sits in an office and helps bodybuilders. Like this is the coolest thing ever. And, um, you, you were, you were just a kid. You were, you were 19 years old and you, you pursued uh, a degree first in marine biology then you were, or at least you wanted to head that direction. And then you got into nutritional biochemistry. So what made that switch? You know, what, what, what makes somebody want to go into general biology or marine biology? And then of course, I think just for the love of competition and sport, you decided to change to nutrition. So this is a really great question. I think I actually blurted out in the middle of our consult. I, w- I want to do what you do. Mm-hmm. And I think I remember you retelling the story that your initial thought was, yeah, okay, kid. You know, like <laughs> everyone says that, but are you actually going to, you know, take the steps it takes to, you know, be successful in this? Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, I originally went to, was going to go to college for marine biology. I really was passionate about sharks, to be honest. I love the ocean. Um, growing up in, you know, central, you know, central USA, uh, weren't many oceans, so yeah. I uh, applied for and got accepted at Eckerd College in St. Petersburg, Florida. And uh, when I got there, um, I had some really good mentors. Like I, I got really fortunate with just fantastic professor, professors. Um, and uh, one of them was uh, Dr. Chris Schnabel. And he was my uh, general chemistry professor. And he was like playing. By that time, I'd actually switched to biology because I had spoken with a uh, a guy who kind of did what I wanted to do, which he studied great white sharks, which I was like, I mean, that's the dream if you're a shark, you know, nut. Um, and he said, listen, I'm not telling you not to pursue your passion, but I have one of about a half dozen jobs in the entire world. Hmm. What I would recommend is go into something general like biology. And if you are still passionate about marine science, go do a PhD in that. And then you'll be much better set up to pursue that. So uh, I went in as a biology major at Eckerd College, but planned to take a lot of marine biology electives. And uh, my first year, uh, Dr. Schnabel in lab one day, I'll, I'll, I'll remember, I still remember this. Um, 
he said, look, you don't want to do green biology. If you, if you don't go to grad school, you're just going to look like a med school student who didn't get into med school. He's like, what you need to do is biochemistry because the range of people who want to do biochemistry is this wide and there's this many jobs. And the range of people who want to do biology is this wide and there's this many jobs. So I switched to biochemistry on his recommendation. Um, and then that was right around the time when I was starting to get ready for my first bodybuilding show, thinking about doing my first bodybuilding show because baseball had ended and I wasn't going to play college baseball. And I still wanted something. And I felt like, hey, this bodybuilding thing, maybe I can be okay at it. You know, even though genetics are important, I had it in my mind, like work ethic, you know, was more important in bodybuilding than these other sports, you know. Um, and so I think I had a little bit of a knack for bodybuilding. I had a, a pretty good physique. And I thought, okay, well, if I learn more about biochemistry, that's going to help me. So I, I, as I'm getting ready for a show, that's when these bodybuilding message boards started popping up around 2001. Um, and the bodybuilding.com forum was the first one I was ever on. And started posting there. And then I, over, uh, a year later, I started posting on another forum called uh, Mind and Muscle. And then having met you and knowing that that job existed, listening to you kind of dispel the myths about, you know, cutting sodium, cutting water, and then realizing like, wow, I don't know any of this stuff. And then reading some of these other kind of supplement scientists who were on these boards. I mean, like, you know, Pat Arnold was on these boards. Law McDonald, even though he's not our favorite person in the world, was on these boards, you know. Uh, and people were having these discussions. And I'm like, I don't understand any of this stuff. So it really, it really made me like, wow, I really want to dig into this and learn more. So I think that was the impetus, just feeling like I didn't know enough. And then mm -hmm. by the time I was a junior in college, you know, my professors were asking me, my, my advisor was named uh, Dr. David Grove. He was uh, the organic chemistry professor, also fantastic. Um, he said, well, have you thought about, you know, what you want to do? Do you want to go into the workforce? Do you want to go to grad school? What do you want to do? And I knew I wanted to find a way to make money in bodybuilding somehow, but, you know, natural bodybuilding didn't exactly have big prize money. And uh, lo and behold, come to find out later, even if you're in the Olympia, you're really not making money from, you know, the prize money and those sorts of things. So I didn't, I didn't really want to be a personal trainer. I, I didn't really want to, I mean, I liked it, but I didn't think, feel like that was my calling. And at that time, I mean, if you wanted to work in the bodybuilding space, I mean, your options were basically personal trainer, start a supplement company, start a gym. I mean, or, or compete and get sponsored. And those were it. And I was like, well, I don't see myself, you know, getting any of those anytime soon. So I said, you know what? Graduate school would be a really great way to delay the real world. And, uh, you know, if I get a master's or PhD, regardless, hopefully I won't, I hopefully won't be sitting in the unemployment line. So that was, I mean, people were like, oh, did you always have this dream to be a PhD and this and that? I said, no, not really. It just kind of how it unfolded. You know, to, to your credit, I'm, I'm going to tell you one of the things that I think really shows an incredible set of ethics it, that I saw in you early. And, and I also never set out to make this a career or create any form of this industry. It was just kind of serendipitous. I mean, because I was writing for some of the magazines and I was putting forth this information that was a little bit contrarian and counterintuitive to, to the mainstream stuff, you know, people were getting interested and they were asking me if I would help them. And so just all of a sudden I'm, I'm creating this business model that I didn't even know, you know, could exist. 
pretty soon I've got 200, 250, 300 clients. <clears throat> it's, it's such a job and a revenue stream that, you know, I basically have to construct the rest of my company around this, which I had never even wanted to do. And when, when I asked you at some point, because again, I didn't even see it as a field, I, you were already in graduate school. You, I think you and I together had, you know, won a, a pro card or something like you, you had <clears throat> in your career, you had two or three pro cards. And I said, Lane, why, why don't you do this? Like, instead of doing something else while you're in school, I mean, do you realize you could be coaching some clients and you could make some money like that and, you know, take a little pressure off of your, your school type, type stuff. And you said, no, 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 I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I've got to, I'm not going to do this until I've graduated. And I said, well, why? There are all kinds of idiots out there doing this. And, you know, you're, you're already up here. And you said, no, I'm just going to keep helping people, you know, bodybuilding.com, forums like that. This, this also was kind of pre-social media as it is known now. And I just thought, man, that is a, that is a guy who truly, you know, has a heart in the right place. Uh, and, and, And that temperance, I think, is something that people may not recognize you know, in your, in your beginnings? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I held off on taking clients till 2005. That's when I took my first client. And, but before that I was already, I can still remember, like I'd be on my computer and I'd have instant messenger open and I'd be like instant messaging with people, helping them because people knew me from writing articles from bodybuilding.com and they knew me from the forums. So they would add me on instant messenger and whatnot. I'd help them. I'd be getting emails from the articles I'd written. I'd help those people, you know, and I, but I didn't feel like work. I enjoyed it. You know, that was something that I just loved. And, um, you know, people would even offer to send me money. Like, Oh, can I pay you for this? I'd be like, ah, I, it was almost like I enjoyed it so much. I felt bad getting paid for it. You know what I mean? Uh, and then I was like, well, I don't have a degree yet. You know, I didn't, I didn't finish my biochemistry degree. And then once I finished and got into grad school, I was about probably like nine months into graduate school and just realizing the demands of grad school. And it was like, you know what? I don't want to stop doing this, but if I'm going to be taking time doing this sort of thing, um, I need to get paid for it. And I'm going to start charging. Now, when I say that, I think I charge like $10 a week to start. I mean, just something obnoxiously cheap. And it's funny when people... Yeah, when people used to complain about my prices, I'm like, well, listen, I'm Coca-Cola now. If you wanted to win Dixie Price, you should have, you know, bought when I was Win Dixie. You know what I mean? Like, I'm the brand name now, so you're gonna pay brand name prices because you're paying for all the work I did for basically free back in the day. Yeah. Um, and so that's one of the things I tell people, like when they're when they're talking about like our coaching team or something. Well, I want to work with you. I'm like, well that's fine. But then this is, you're going to pay that premium price. Whereas you could work with somebody who's a diamond in the rough that would be great for you. You know, that, that you're not going to pay so much for, but um, I understand it. Like some people, you know, they realize that the Lexus and the Camry are are the same car, but they still want the Lexus, you know? So it's, it's funny how it works out, but in, it was just, it was, and this was all organic. There was no like marketing, nothing like that. I just started helping people. They did well. They told other people. They did well. They told other people to the point where, I mean, I was turning away probably at some point I was probably turning away 95% of business just because I couldn't accommodate it. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed that process. And it was, I mean, I can tell you the, the first time 
So the first year, I think I made gross. I just remember the gross numbers. I made 800 bucks my first year. <laughs> I made $6,000 my second year. And that's when it was like, oh, cool. I made 40 bucks. I can go play around the golf with my buddy on Saturday, you know, like that sort of thing. And then the third year I made $40,000 and I was like, huh. And then the next year was the first year I ever made six figures in as a grad school student. And I was like, wait, wait a minute. I don't have to get a regular job after grad school. I can just do this. And that was like, you know, and that's how I became an entrepreneur. <laughs> well, and one of the big things you mentioned a few minutes ago is back then. And with that phrase, you know, back then, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, this wasn't a defined industry. I'm not even sure if we could call it that now, but there was uh, almost an easy rise. I mean, if, if you were out there and you were, you were going to contests, you were doing anything online with, with recognition, uh, this was happening to a lot of people who were horrible at it, who were completely unqualified, but yet it wasn't that difficult. Now, flash forward and talk about the whole job versus you know resource uh, pool. I, I see phenomenal coaches who would be fantastic and they just can't get a leg up because it is so incredibly competitive. So as you've watched the cycling of our industry grow in the last 20 years, where do you, where do you consider it now? And, and what do you think it can be? Yeah. I mean, I think there, there's a lot to unpack there. And I, I always tell people when I started, the difficulty was not, there was no competition essentially. I mean, it was, it was you and you me and, you and, me and then some <laughs> other jokers. You know what I mean? That was basically it. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't difficult to, there wasn't like, I didn't have to convince somebody, Hey, like this person versus me, whatever. And when it came to you and me, like we were always had a friendly rivalry in terms of like, if somebody said, Hey, I'm going to go work with Dr. Joe. I say, Hey, great. He's going to do an awesome job for you. And I'm you know, sure you would say the same thing about wow. me. Uh, and we even had clients go back and forth between us and have good experience with the Bulls. So, uh, but now really, no, the question was, oh, can you do this online? I don't believe that you could actually like do this online. So people had a hard time believing that. Now, I mean, this was the infancy of the internet. Now the internet, people used to say, well, this isn't real life. Now the internet is real life. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to say that, right? Yep. So People understand all this stuff can be done online. The problem is now you have, you know, over a hundred thousand people, if not more, who do this. I mean, I've even like coaching is the easiest thing to fake being an expert at. I mean, I have I see people online who say they're coaches. And I don't even know what they're coaches for. You know, I think that uh, success coaching and entrepreneurship coaching is two of the other easiest fields to fake. Like you don't because there's no. There's no minimum requirement. You'd have to go to school, get a degree. There's nothing like that. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with nutrition. Any, you know, you can't call yourself a dietitian, but anybody can call themselves a nutritionist. Like literally anybody. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that they get into a hobby and their first impulse is, how can I monetize this? You know, I, I remember, um, <laughs> uh, you know, when I was getting into fishing, my wife was like, oh, well, you should think about, I'm like, don't even know. Mm -mm. Hmm. no that's gonna stay a hobby i'm, I'm hmm. not interested in forming a fishing company you know what i mean um unless i was just interested in losing money uh so it's it's really funny i think a lot of people just knee jerk at the chance to make money especially if they've managed to build some kind of social media following and that really has been the game changer now what i will say people ask me about the state of the industry they say 
oh, I feel like it's worse than it's ever been. And I'll actually push back on that. I think that the industry overall is better than it was 20 years ago. And there's no question in my mind because you act, you actually have evidence-based stuff. Like you can actually find it. It's not that difficult to find. Um, yeah, there's a lot of crap out there. But 20 years ago, you there literally was not evidence-based unless you got lucky enough to read some random article from somebody who had some kind of credentials and knew what they were talking about. But again, even if they knew what they were talking about, the evidence on strength training, hypertrophy, nutrition, I mean, uh, this will make you laugh, Joe. When I was getting into grad school for uh, nutrition, somebody said to me, they're like, why are you going for nutrition? It seems like a waste of time. We already like know everything. And I'm like, mm, I feel like that's probably not true. <laughs> so um, yeah, and in, in the last five to 10 years, I mean, the research on hypertrophy specifically has just absolutely exploded. Right. And we know so much more now. So I would say it is better You've got to sift through more crap, but really, if you know what to look for, and I always tell people, you know, the best way to, to look for the people is you listen to how people talk. First off, are they willing to say the three magic words? I don't know. It's really an interesting dichotomy that the people you should trust are the people who actually seem unsure. That's who you should trust. That's real science. If somebody always has an answer for, it's like, you know, if you go to a good financial advisor, does anybody out here think a good financial advisor is just like, yep, this is the one investment everyone needs to do. And this is the way it works. And you're going to turn, you know, 50% profit in three months. I mean, that sounds really attractive, but based on what I know about finances, I would say that if that was the case, just everybody would be doing it, right? Okay. Um, and then ironically enough, there'd be so much money, it'd all be devalued and it would be the same position anyway, but regardless. Um, well, that's a, that's a fun thing that got me back. You know, I have to say, I started my company to be very general population based. I, I love just helping people with, with health and, and, you know, true, true life issues. And my foray as a natural pro bodybuilder and, and into accidentally pioneering a lot of the stuff in this industry was simply almost a, not, not a distraction. It was fun. Like I had a great ride. I loved doing what I did, but after about 10 years, I was like, man, I, like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And I honestly, Lane, I, I thought the sport was just going to go away. I, I saw attrition happening. And so I checked out for about a decade and I just went back to doing what I was doing with my company and franchising. And then all of a sudden, here comes you, here comes Eric Helms, all of these people start, you know, Jeremy Lenneke, everybody's all of a sudden creating these labs and doing real research. And then they bring in men's physique and then they bring in bikini. And it's like all of a sudden the, the whole industry goes sky high in a good way. Like you said, there, there is so much happening right now that I, I just had to kind of jump back in. I'm like, this is fun now again. And uh, I, I truly credit to you. Like a lot of people know our story, how we both started Evansville, Indiana. You were, you know, a 19 year old client of mine. I probably had about a decade or so head start, but that was pre-internet. You took the baton and you took it into the social media age. And, and that was a huge part of expanding the entire industry to the point it is today. And I mean, that's how much of an infancy our industry is still in. 
you know, it's literally less than 20 or maybe 20 or so years old. And I'm, I'm curious now, because I think you are known as the guy, at least I say this about you, like, like Lane just wakes up looking for a fight. Like, who am I going to get online and, and beat the hell out of today? <laughs> and it's like, you know, I, I perceive you as owning this role. I'm the guardian of truth. I'm going to go out there and, and knock all these idiots over, expose them for the frauds that they are. And that's my job. I'm, I'm going to keep the industry on this track that I think it needs to go. Uh, so how do you feel about that? Is that something that you, you literally have intent to do, or is it just your personality and you just can't help, but, but pick these people off? It's really funny. Cause I'm actually a very non-confrontational person in day-to-day life. So I think it's kind of my alter ego, but <laughs> I, I will say that, um, it didn't, it definitely wasn't an intentional thing where it's just, my, my wife's very funny. You know, she, she said to me, she's like, you have a lot of nuance with certain things, but when it comes to the truth, you are very black and white. And I think with, with me, I think what happened was the following. I think I would see things being promoted that I knew were, I mean, it's like, well, if you've got like five studies that directly contradict what you're saying, I mean, like this is pretty clear cut, right? And so I would kind of challenge people on that. And just the, the lack of ability of, the, of most people to hold a logical debate is really uh, terrifying, to be honest. In fact, I said to my wife one day, I said, am I really, really smart? And this is just like average, like the average like kind of way that people think. Or is the average person really, really, really dumb? Because like, I just can't imagine that this is normal. And she's like, she's like, I think you are really smart, but I think you also need to realize that the average person just doesn't, there's no, you know, most people don't know even the fundamentals of logic and evidence and hierarchy of evidence, you know, when you're, when you're comparing different evidence. And one of the things I heard that I, I really agree with is that if we meet somebody and we talk to them, we can get a pretty good assessment of on a particular subject where their knowledge ranks compared to us. We, we know pretty quickly if they're more knowledgeable on a subject than we are. What we're really bad at doing is if two people who are more knowledgeable than us disagree on a topic, we are really horrible at picking which one is the more knowledgeable of the two. And usually we just end up defaulting to whoever fits with our bias the best. So I think for me, I started like challenging some of these status quo. I mean, like, like as well, you know, you know, challenging the status quo in, in bodybuilding of, you know, cutting water, cutting sodium, even if you're not confrontational about it, other people will become confrontational about it because you're challenging this sacred cow. Right. So for me, when, whenever somebody makes a claim, just, this is just purely a result of me being in, I had a, fantastic PhD advisor, Dr. Don Lehman, me being in that lab with other really smart graduate students and throwing around these ideas and just having so many ideas get the legs cut right out from under them because, well, you haven't considered X, Y, Z, or, well, what about this study? Or, you know, we would even try something that, you know, I, the most, some of the most interesting stuff I found in my PhD was 
directly in contrast to what my hypothesis on the topic was. And so I, I changed the way I did things. I changed my mind on certain topics. And so when I would present people with that and they weren't willing to change their mind, I'm like, what is, what is kind of wrong with you? You know, why wouldn't you want, like, if you're wrong, if I'm wrong on something, that's actually a beautiful thing because that means I'm not, if I'm right about everything, then I've already maxed out. I'm already doing the best I can possibly do. I actually love finding out I'm wrong about something because then it's like, okay, that's another thing that we can optimize, right? But I think people are so held to dogma that they start challenging us or me. And so I would be willing to engage with that, not always with the most cordial way. Um, and I think over time, now, now I can tell you exactly what happens from doing this. And, and I will say back in like 2013, I just had it with the coaching industry. And I started just basically calling people out by name because I was just sick of it because I saw, I saw what was happening to people in terms of, I mean, mostly do mostly with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. I mean, just people were so petrified of literally you can find an expert that pretty much for every single food out there will tell you why this is going to kill you or keep you fat or whatever. I mean, you can find it with almost anything. Mm -hmm. And so I just saw the damage this did in terms of eating disorders, food anxiety. Um, I, I'll never forget. I had one girl who was 16 and her old coach had had her take T3 and it destroyed her thyroid function. And she basically had to be on thyroid hormone the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there, there's, there's no governing body. There's nothing like that. And to me, I'm like, all right, you know, I'm, you know, me, I'm kind of a capitalist. So I'm like, what would capitalism say? Well, capitalism would say, if these people are crappy, then enough people will find out and won't use their services. So I became known as somebody who wasn't afraid to rock the boat, wasn't afraid to call people out. Um, now I don't have, to, I don't look for this stuff. People mm. send it to me. <laughs> I get 500 DMs a day with, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Right, have you right, seen this? Right. Have you seen this? You know? And, um, but I, I do think that it's, I mean, it may sound biased, but I do think it's something important. And I really take my role as kind of the, the fact checker of the industry very serious. And I mean, even in, you know, if I'm debunking somebody who's, you know, uh, uh, intermittent fasting, you know, making crazy claims about intermittent fasting, I'll still be sure to say, hey, there's nothing wrong with intermittent fasting. If you want to do that, like, it's not like it's a terrible way of doing things. It's just not, you know, it's important we understand why things are working. Yes, it works, but it's not working for the reason that this person is saying. And so it's important to understand that because context matters. I see so a lot. I see a lot more of that in you now than ten or so years ago. And and I'll say this: just just this week, I told somebody when we were talking about parenting, I said ninety percent of parenting is just saying they'll grow out of it. Just chill out; they'll be fine. And I, I remember this distinctly, Lane. You'll laugh at this one when you were like 25, 26, 27, and people would sometimes send me things that you had said, like, Joe, can you like, is this right? Is what's Lane doing here? And I'm like, don't worry. He's only 26. He'll, he'll grow up. He'll grow up. Don't worry. <laughs> and, and, you know, we're friends, but also from afar as I'm watching you almost like a parent, you know, I, I knew the potential that was there. And, and I honestly, just after, you know, some time. And I, and I think you had to kind of experience some of these things yourself personally. 
you've just decided, yeah, that's not worth it. And, and yes, there is some nuance. And I think people are at least smart enough to figure this out. And all that content is there. Cause I have made the same mistakes as just kind of a life schema in that I always give people too much credit. I think everybody knows what I know and I think they know, and I think they're where I am. So like, I'll get tired of talking about a topic. Cause like I talked about that 10 years ago, like, like we're here now. And yet there's a ton of people who are still back here. And I tend to forget that. So there, there's always room for new people. I had a video chat with a new client um, just a few hours ago and she's in IT, you know, moved from Silicon Valley to Manhattan and she's, you know, a, a shaker and a hustler and she's, you know, she's living that life. And again, I think, okay, well, she knows this stuff. And it's like, no, she's asking the most basic questions that somebody who's never even read an article about nutrition should know. And that's okay. You know, we, we still have to create that information flow for everybody. And I think, you know, this reminds me of something that I, I say to people, you know, just the fact, very, very smart person, right? Obviously very driven. That does not always carry over. And it doesn't even always carry over in science. People mm-hmm. say, well, this guy's an engineer. He wouldn't believe bull crap. And I'm like, the hell he wouldn't. <laughs> of course he would. Yeah. You know, like even me, I'm an, I'm PhD in nutrition, but if you get into the weeds with me on vitamin C metabolism, I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to be valid after like two mechanisms. You know what I mean? Like you, you can only narrow your, you have to narrow your focus so much. You know, I deal, most of the stuff I think about is in the context of, I've branched more into overall health now, but mostly what I'm looking at is body composition, which tie together a lot more than people think, to be honest. Um, But, you know, this is how you get people say, well, what do you think about this doctor saying this? I'm, I'm like, well, there's there's two options. One, he's just a scumbag trying to make money, which is probably quite a few of them. Uh, and two, doctors don't get nutrition training. Physicians don't get nutrition training. And even then, there are PhDs in nutrition who I've been like, that's insane what you just said. How can you say that? Um, and so I think what I tell people is like, really, try not to have like sacred cows when it comes to like, there are people with bachelor's degrees in nutrition or, or people who don't even have nutrition degrees who I've seen be really good coaches and who really, but they have that scientist mindset. They're very skeptical. They understand that everything has nuance and they are looking for, they're looking at that gray area and understanding it. By contrast, I've again seen people who are PhDs. I mean, we saw them on like the documentary, the game changers just, saying insane things about nutrition that aren't even remotely true. Uh, but again, it's, it's when it's your bias, I always say, everybody says that they care about data until they come across data that conflicts with their bias. And then they don't care about the data anymore, right? So I, I really, I really, I have bias, of course, like anybody. I think the one difference with me is I'll usually be honest about that. Um, like, for example, when I say I went to grad school trying to find more reasons to eat more protein and eat it more frequently. Um, and I came out eating less protein, a little, bit, a little bit less frequently, you know, not that protein's bad, but I just was overkill, you know. I think that was my first master's thesis as well. <laughs> so I, I think that it's really like it's so important to have self-reflection and just be you know, really skeptical about, you know, what you what you what do you really know? What do we really know and you know back in the day i used to get excited when one study would come out and show something 
And now I'm like, okay, wake me up when there's 10 across multiple laboratories and there's been several meta-analyses and then I'll start getting excited, right? Exactly. Um, because, and I think people immediately jump to, well, if studies conflict, that means that one lab must just be fabricating data and they're scumbags paid off by industry. And, and that's not it at all. I think that, you know, people don't understand study design and 99% of the time when a study finds something that's contrary or as the mainstream media will say is contrary, you can, if you know the methods, you can go into the methods and you can say, oh, well, this is why they found this because look at what they're categorizing as high protein versus low protein or, or look at the population they used or look at the duration. And you, you can find those things and better understand it. But of course, like that's really hard for the average person. And so I think for the average person, it's difficult because they do need to find some experts that they trust in order to be able to distill down that data. And so what I'll always say is, one, nobody's perfect, everybody's gonna be wrong, myself included. Two, really look for people who, again, are willing to say the three magic words, I don't know, stay in their scope, recognize when they're, if, they're go, if they do go outside their scope, that they acknowledge that they are outside their scope. I do that all the time. Like somebody asked about injuries, hey, not a physical therapist, not a spine specialist, this and that. Here's what I understand from the current literature, but you should go see an expert, right? Mm -hmm. um, those sorts of things, like, and always putting context and nuance because I'll get questions of what are your thoughts on X? You know, what, what are your thoughts on intermittent fasting? And it's like, okay, so usually an expert will ask you a question back. Okay, well, for what? Are we talking about for fat loss? Are we talking about like what context are you asking? Okay, you're asking about for fat loss. Well, it's fine for these reasons. It works for these reasons. These might be the drawbacks. These are the plus sides. And it, it boils down to a lot of your personal preference, you know? So when you have somebody frame things like that, and they're not just saying meat, bad, carbs, bad, sugar, bad, you know? When you've got somebody making blanket statements like that, I mean, you've got to be really careful. I mean, I, I very, very, very rarely do I use very strong terms like that when I'm describing things in nutrition. And that's, that's a key. And I'm interested, you've, you've already said, you know, I had this professor who I loved, this guy changed my life, this professor, this thesis committee or, or dissertation chairman. How much do you value formal education? If, if you were talking to a kid today or even to yourself back then, would you say, this is worth it, pursue it, because it's going to enrich you more than just reading books and, and watching YouTube videos? Yeah, I, mean, I think, so I have an education bias. I think that, that it's great. Now, people will say, you don't need to go to school. You can find everything out on YouTube. And I'll say, well, good luck, you know, weeding through the, 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 the slop. Uh, same thing. But like when I, people say, why should I buy your book? You have so much free content online. I'll say, yeah, but you know, that's true, but this is distilling it into something, you know, palatable. That's, you know, one spot. So I think that it's very difficult for the average person to just kind of pick and choose. And so I think formal education can be great. However, you know, you have to, you, even when it comes to that, when you were professors, ask questions. You know, I had professors that encouraged me to ask questions. 
you know, they would challenge me and I would challenge them. And like, that is the sign of a really great professor, somebody who is willing to not just say, you know, this is the way it is. And it's because I say so, you know, like when I would ask a question, uh, I had a biochemistry professor, uh, Wayne Guida, who again, excellent. And he would say, you know, I don't know the answer to that. I'm, I'll, let me go and look and I'll get back to you. And then the next day he would send me some studies, you know, and like that is just such a great approach to education. Even the, even the master, the teacher saying, I am not a guru. I don't know everything, but I'm going to really education, I believe should be equipping people with a mindset and a series of tools so that they can systematically, if they want to learn anything, that they can systematically learn something. And I think we get so caught up in the X's and O's and in, in some of the um, education structures that we forget about just teaching people how to learn. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was very lucky to have that. But I, I, I tell people, listen, I, I never took a course that told me how to set macros. I never, you know, there was no class or book that ever showed me how to do client adjustments. But you have to really client adjustments, macro setting, all that kind of stuff. That's like if I build a house, that's like the chandeliers and the window dressings and the nice tile floors and the accent walls. But what does what does a house absolutely not work without? And that's a foundation. Now you don't you don't ever see the foundation. It's very boring. It's a big old slab. Right. But that house would not stand without that foundation. And the basics of education is that foundation, because people say, well, when am I ever going to use calculus? Well, directly, maybe not. But if you do not understand calculus, you don't understand physics. If you don't understand physics, you don't understand the law of conservation. If you don't understand the law of conservation, then you don't understand energy balance. If you don't understand energy balance, then you're kind of screwed when it comes to coaching. Uh, and that would lead you to say things like people gain weight in a calorie deficit, you know, like the, those <laughs> sorts of insane statements, right? Yeah. So it all builds on each other. And if, like, yeah, I'm not sitting at my desk doing long division all day. But if I hadn't had that, I couldn't have taken these higher level classes. I couldn't have gotten to the point in biochemistry where I understand enzyme kinetics and I understand active sites. I understand, you know, inhibition and hydrogen bonding and all these different concepts that sure you could tell somebody about them, but to truly have it make sense on a fundamental level, I just don't think I ever would have gotten that if I hadn't had that education. Sure, I could go buy the books, I could listen to seminars online, but having somebody to distill that down to here's what the essentials are of what you need to know. I mean, really now that I'm speaking about it, a great teacher is actually kind of like a great coach to be honest. For sure. I, I tell people, first of all, I didn't appreciate my education quite as much until I did some things outside of science. So, you know, bachelor's, master's, doctorate, doctorate, 10 years off, and then a master's in literary journalism, another one in social psychology, social science. And all of a sudden I found myself laying in my forties, sitting in these rooms with people. And I thought, holy shit, these are the smartest people I've ever seen in my life because I'm so used to science and you just do work and you figure out things and you, you solve problems. And these are just big, deep thinkers. Like you could put them in any situation and they're going to be a player. 
And, and it really did make me realize every time you sit in front of a professor, you've got somebody who's got 20, 30, 40 years of assimilating knowledge and they've learned it from professors and so forth. So, so you're really getting the, the peak experience. And, and I'm not telling everybody you have to do that to be a coach, but it's like, man, you should, you should at least keep yourself involved in the educational process at some level. Uh, I, I just think that's incredibly helpful. I mean, it's made you who you are, me who I am. And I honestly, the most I ever, the fact that I was in graduate school and doing research while I was working with clients, I just, that was so invaluable to me because it's always, I'm always relating it back to what's the practical application of this? Because you also have scientists who get so into the weeds that they can't even give you practical breakdowns. In fact, one of the things I would always do with my academic seminars was I would actually have practical recommendations at the end, which most people did not do. And again, just great credit to my advisor, Don Lehman. You know, he, he always said, first off, he was not an ivory tower kind of guy. He was, because I would ask him, do you have a problem with me like talking about the research we do and like publishing these articles and, and bodybuilding magazines? He's like, no, I think it's great. He's like, you know, the average person is never gonna read the New England Journal of Medicine. They're not gonna read the Journal of Nutrition. And your best hope is that somebody in the media takes the stuff you did and, you know, accurately represents it, which good luck with that. So he's like, he's like, I love the fact that you're taking it directly to people. I think that's great. But I will say that like that research background, actually being in a lab, actually having like more than anything, having those conversations, understanding the, the, the restraints of research because people will underinterpret and over understanding the restraints of research by doing that research. I mean, it really, 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 it helped me so much, especially now with what I do with kind of like research breakdowns on my YouTube. And we're actually going to have a research review coming out here in a few months uh, on the website. It, it just helped me an incredible amount. And so again, like you said, you don't, you don't need it. But if you really want to make this your life, why would you not want every tool in your toolkit that you could possibly have? And I, I had this conversation with somebody else the other day. They said, well, if I wanted to come work for your company, do you require a bachelor's degree or, or a master's degree? And I said, you know, we, we do as a kind of not a rule, but, you know, a guideline. We do want somebody with a bachelor's degree at least. And obviously, if they've done a master's, that's that's even better. And we do have several people on our staff with master's degrees. And it's just, it's hard to replicate that research experience mm -hmm. in terms of understanding the nuances of data and then also how it applies to the average person. Sure. So you are 40 years old. What are you going to do for the rest of your career to better the industry and, and make it a place that you could say, I am, I am proud. That's what I did as a career. Yeah. Great, great question. And I think, you know, I, I continue to really want to put out a lot of great content. I, I would love to actually be able to get on, you know, I never, it's funny because even though I've become an influencer, my goal was never to become famous or anything like that. It was, you know, but now I recognize that the value of that is I can reach more people with a message now, I think some people, it's kind of like trying to get political office. Um, the, the, the way they rationalize bad behavior is, well, I'll just do this until I get to that position of power where I can do the most good and then I'll do good. 
um, because that helps them get there quicker. Same thing. If I was willing to, you know, cut corners and whatnot, I probably could have already gotten on. I mean, look at these, you know, carnivore idiots who are getting on mainstream TV or these these low carb or or people like, you know, saying that vegetables make you sick and all kinds of insane things because it's sexy and you can get on TV. I could do that and then say, well, if I get this big following, then I can do the most good. But by then you're so corrupted that you're no longer the same person. So I've really tried to stick with my ethos and build it slow. And I'll tell people, I'm like, you think I blew up overnight? I mean, Joe, you have seen the slow climb. It has been a slow climb. It's never been, you know, I got on the Joe Rogan podcast. I got a Joe Rogan podcast that helped a little bit. You know, I got a little bump from that, you know, but it's been slow and steady. And so now we are focusing on, okay, we're trying to get on more of these big podcasts. We're trying to get on, on more like t- like a TV show, that sort of thing, because the message has been consistent. It's been un, you know, blemished, that sort of thing. I do think it could help a lot of people. So that's one big goal for me. And, and you, is, you, you will be the guy who does it. I, I can assure you that. I hope so. I mean, I tell people there's, there's better scientists out there. There's smarter people out there. There's people who have more successful bodybuilding careers. There's people who have had more successful powerlifting careers. And there's people that are better on camera. But I don't know anybody that does all of them as well as I do, you know. And I also think when it comes to, like, taking complex information, especially in, like, a live seminar, a live setting, complex information and distilling it down for the average person in a way that's entertaining, I truly believe I'm the best in the world at that. So... Uh, one of the things I want to do is actually create, and we're working on it with, uh, I'm working on it with Dr. Bill Campbell at USF, is create a like certified you know, coaching academy for coaches. I know you did something similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are a few options out there, but the difference, you know, ours will be 100% body composition focused. So it'll be, you know, if you want to coach clients for modifying body composition, for, for physique coaching, whether it's competitive or non-competitive, which really... Most people, they may say they're interested in their health, but most people want to look better naked. That's their, that's their, and if they get healthier along the way, they're happy with it, right? Um, so that's what we want to do. We want to construct that framework with, hey, here's the information that is absolutely essential. And we're gonna, t- we're gonna try and teach you how to think. So that's, that's one thing. And then obviously like our app that we've put out, that's the, hopefully the tool that could get in the hands of, you know, millions of people one day and really be, you know, Hey, I don't have to spend, you know, $500 or $1,000. I can spend, you know, $10 and and get help that I need uh, in terms of, you know, lifestyle behavior modification and, um, you know, nutritional help. Uh, And we've got a few other projects in the pipeline. Um, I don't want to say too much, but we're, there's a, um, a Hollywood actor who we may be partnering with um, who has a really incredible story and we would like to create um, a series of, of products with his help. Um, and he fits our, you know, our ethos and all that kind of thing. So um, that would be an incredible opportunity and um, it would be something that could help a massive amount of people. So um, yeah, really, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, we want to help as many people as possible. And, you know, I truly believe that we have a great team to do that. Uh, my wife is an incredible person, like in, in terms of like, you know, she's kind of like the softer, friendlier version of me. Uh, and she has such a passion for helping women. Like it's her, her, what she does for women is truly incredible. In fact, she is, she's now, I mean, she is in such demand for, she is the best coach I've ever seen. Like in terms of the care she gives for her clients, how much she invests, 
you know, the, the passion with which she talks about her clients and how much reward she gets out of that. I mean, honestly, it's, it's really inspiring to see. So I'm really excited about what the future is going to Last question, Lane Norton. What do you want your kids to tell your grandkids someday? Your grandfather was this. What do you want to be known as? What's, what's your personal legacy? I think I would want them to say, you know, your grandfather was one of the hardest workers we ever met. He always tried to do the right thing by people. And he wasn't perfect, but he always tried to do the right thing. And, you know, despite all that, he was still dad for us. And, um, you know, it was never, um, he never lorded over us or anything like that. Um, and, you know, that I, I don't care if my kids never pick up weightlifting or anything like that. I just want to be healthy and happy. You know, um, if they decide they want to do that, then obviously I will help them support that. But, you know, I want my kids to feel about me like I felt about my parents and that, you know, they supported my dream. They didn't understand it, but they supported it. And there was never the only expectation was we want you to do something you enjoy and we want you to live within your means. And, you know, what else could a parent you know, want for their kids? And I want them to, to dream big, to believe that they can do things. And I want them to feel like their dad supported them. So that's what I would love for them to say about me. I love it, man. And I feel it. You know, my four kids are amazing. They're grown. I now have a one-year-old grandson. And, uh, you know, that's why these questions mean something. And so I, I love that we've been friends for 20 years, man. I, I hope we get more than 20 more after this. But thanks so much, Lane. It's very, very important for me that you are the very first episode on the Origins podcast. So I appreciate your time, brother. Hey, I was honored to do it. And, you know, I, um, I, I always say, like, you know, I'm so grateful I had such great mentors over the years. And you were obviously one of them. So thank you for everything you did for me. Okay, man. We still got work to do. We're still in the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, man. It's take, going down now. Take care. And again, congratulations on the 40th birthday. Thanks, Joe. All right, Take man. Care. See you next time.